on this inauguration day 2020 in honor of America, Lady Gaga singing this beautiful rendition of the national anthem. Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli, where we believe that less is more. The acronym LESS stands for Leadership, Equality, Education, Social, and Sport Issues. With each episode, thoughtful conversations and insightful guests are always tops on the menu. The Sports Deli is sponsored by SportRx, the leader in sport prescription eyewear. Give them a buzz at 888-831-5817 and let them know the Sports Deli sent you for your 10% discount. Or if you order online, you can go to sportrx.com and enter the code DELI10. That's D-E-L-I-1-0. If you have any questions, you can email them at info at sportrx.com or there's a live chat feature online and you can talk with a live optician. And what separates SportRx from all the other companies out there, not only do they have live opticians that you're going to be speaking with, their knowledge about your specific needs is hands down second to none. Whether you're a, a, a regular golfer, you're a hack, or you're a pro golfer, you know whether you're playing uh, high school or college uh, football or you're a professional athlete, uh, you're out walking with your kid and your dogs, Whatever your needs are for men, women, or kids, uh, they will take care of you. So again, give them a call at 888-831-5817 or go online at sportrx.com. If you want to send us an email, you can always do so to thesportsdeli at gmail.com and you can DM us on Instagram at Mike Hootner and on Twitter at Michael Hootner. So grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage, and let's do this together in the sports deli. And for those of you that have already listened to the introduction about Dr. J and myself, Hootie Hoot, you can fast forward now to the 15 minute and 45 second mark of the podcast to listen to today's podcast right here in the sports deli. Dr. J hails to us from Maryland. He currently resides in upstate New York. He's a proud graduate of Bethesda Chevy Chase High School in Maryland. He's a sports junkie and sports fanatic by his own admission. He loves his Washington teams, the Wizards, the Washington football team, the Nationals and Capitals. I remember in college, he used to brag all the time about how the Washington football team had a 41-year waiting list. And maybe they're back on track after reaching the playoffs this year in 2020. He loves politics and is definitely the reason I became interested in politics because he's just as passionate 
and fanatical about politics as he is about sports, probably largely uh, as a result of his parents' um, influence on him. His dad was a lawyer, and his mom worked for the government uh, her entire life, and uh, I just loved learning from him because I didn't really know much about it uh, before I got to Goucher, and so I have John to thank for um, why I'm so interested and, and passionate about politics, especially since my college days. He's working on his EDD in higher administration. He's got a master's degree from the University of South Carolina. As a freshman at the University of Kentucky, he won third place in a Rick Pitino lookalike contest. He can recognize the face of just about any athlete, and he has been photographed with the likes of Dick Vitale, Jimmy V, Rick Pitino, Jerry Tarkanian, and Steve Spurrier. Oh yeah, and of course, yours truly several times, Mike Hootner, Hootie Hoot, your co-host here in the Sports Deli. He loves golf, even though he thinks he's better than he is, but he is willing to play any course in the world. He is fearless in that way. Just let him know the time and place, and he will be there. He's played in Scotland, Mexico, Spain, the United States, and other countries, and he's played the Old Course, Torrey Pines, the Ocean Course, Pebble Beach, and Doral. And as for myself, Hootie Hoot, I hail to you from Detroit, Michigan. I'm a proud graduate of Oak Park High School. I love my sports teams, the Pistons, the Lions, the Red Wings, and the Detroit Tigers. I had amazing friends growing up uh, on Leslie Street there in Oak Park. I played five sports in high school, uh, including baseball and tennis, basketball, cross country, and soccer. And a, a quick blurb about my, my high school experience. Uh, you know, I went from a private school to a public school in fifth grade, and that's when I really started to uh, feel like I was able to come out of my shell and really be comfortable in my own skin. And uh, mad props to everybody that was a part of my life in Oak Park for the first 18 years from Pepper Another unbelievable influence in my life was when I played youth sports and Mr. Emanuel, who I'm still friends with today, uh, just loved us. He was an African-American coach. I never felt like he was treating me any differently. And, um, you know, I had uh, a tough time growing up for a number of reasons. And uh, he was always there. He was always tough. He always demanded that we you know, just work hard and gave everyone a fair shot to, you know, play uh, in our basketball games. And um, it's always fun to go back and visit Mr. Emmanuel and uh, his son, who's uh, still a good friend of mine after uh, all these years, Dave, to Roosevelt, to uh, high school uh, from Mr. Sternberg and middle school in particular. He was tough, but he was tough on everyone. You know, Mr. Golding, my seventh grade history teacher, who has been an advocate my entire life and a, and a wonderful support system for me, to all my friends and acquaintances uh, uh, in that Oak Park school system. You know, I know it wasn't easy for a lot of people, but, you know, during those years between fifth grade and twelfth grade, uh, that's when I felt most comfortable uh, being who I was, and I really came out of my shell, and uh, I just I just love my my experience. The other thing I wanted to mention as far as sports goes, you know, I played junior varsity um, uh, as a junior for both baseball and basketball, which, you know, I got a lot of flack for it um, because people, you know, were like, why would you even waste your time? And, you know, I, I just wanted to play. I didn't care if I was on varsity or junior varsity. I, I just wanted a shot. And uh, I appreciated uh, the opportunity uh, to play junior varsity baseball and basketball as a junior, and then I, I ended up making the varsity both uh, for the baseball and, and basketball teams as a senior. And, uh, you know, that, that helped me to, you know, continue my dream to play college, college basketball. So um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that I got cut three times. And when I talk to kids, um, I always mention this because uh, a lot of times you can learn more about yourself from loss and from getting cut uh, and trying to prove a coach wrong than you can from being given a handout 
or simply making a team because you know someone or because you're tall or what whatever. Uh, and I got cut in in, uh, in middle school. I got cut in high school as a sophomore, and I got cut in college my first year. And every time, the year after that, because I was so motivated and I had a why, and that why was whether I was too white, I was the only white guy on the varsity team in high school on my basketball team, or people said I was too short at 5'7", or whatever the case may, may be. But I had a why. You know, my dad committed suicide when I was nine years old. Uh, I had a lot of reasons to be upset and, and find intrinsic motivation uh, to prove everybody wrong and say F the world. So for those of you out there that are listening that maybe have gotten cut, you know, maybe have had bad experiences or some really bad things happen to you, um, just know that there's a lot of people out there just like you that have gone through hardships and, uh, uh, you know, had to, to battle adversity uh, during their lifetime. And, you know, that's truly what's going to be a test of your character is if you can get through those things. Because if you're not a part of the solution, you're a part of the problem. I graduated in 1987 and made my way west where I attended San Diego Mesa College where I played uh, college basketball for two years for the Hall of Fame coach James Mulvihall. I learned to play tennis uh, at a higher level from the legendary professor at San Diego Mesa, uh, Dr. Reeves, who really helped me with my backhand in particular and creating more spin uh, on my uh, forehand. And as a result of that, when I transferred to Goucher College and played on the first team in the history of the men's basketball team there in 1990, I also, as a senior, played uh, intercollegiate tennis. I played five singles and uh, two doubles and was all uh, conference in doubles uh, with my uh, doubles partner, Scott. And uh, from there, I went to start my college coaching career. I I got my master's degree from Frostburg State University. I coached for an amazing coach who I learned a tremendous amount from, not only on the court, but off the court, uh, from Oscar Lewis. Um, and uh, I have a beautiful daughter, uh, Amelia. I'm a life coach. I also uh, privately coach golf and tennis. I do a lot of private professional skills training in the sport of basketball. I've sent players overseas. Um, I coach men for 15 years and I'm on my 14th year on the women's side, um, both at the collegiate level and I currently coach at a low income first generation high school, the Proy School in La Jolla, California for girls basketball. Um, unlike John, I've never been married and, uh, I've also been a college professor since 1992. And finally, um, wanted to give a big shout out to the person that's been there uh, through all of my trials and tribulations and my ups and my downs and my successes and who's been an amazing uh, rock to uh, her mom and my grandmother who's been living with us for the past few months during this pandemic, who lost her husband of 71 years recently and... Uh, a testament to uh, the fact that uh, family always comes first and uh, her uh, continuous and endless uh, love and support means the world to all of us, uh, to me, to her granddaughter, Amelia, to her Pittsburgh family, um, to her sisters who she speaks to with several times every day, to all her clients. She's been a psychotherapist for over 40 years and um, just uh, an incredible example of compassion and strength and courage and and wisdom so I know I speak for dr. J that when we first started this endeavor it was really to talk sports and it's turned into much more than that and if you haven't uh, listened to any of our previous podcasts we encourage you to do so we've had some unbelievable guests uh, civil rights activists, WNBA players, NBA players, Division I coaches. We've had the former president of the NCAA on the podcast. We've had former Super Bowl MVP Doug Williams on the podcast. We've had special dedications to 
uh, Breonna Taylor and the Black Lives Matter movement. We've had Jay Billis and Seth Greenberg from ESPN, former UCLA head coach Steve Lavin, Chris Moore, the CEO of the Positive Coaching Alliance, Kevin Eastman, former NBA coach. Just a, a phenomenal list of who's who in the world of sports. So thanks again for joining Dr. J and myself, Hootie Hoot, and just wanted to give you a little bit of uh, background about who we are. So check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. And uh, if you have any questions, uh, as always, you can always send us an email or DM us. Now back to the Sports Deli. Hello, everyone. This is a special edition of the Sports Deli Podcast. I'm your host, Hootie Hoot. Inauguration Day 2020. Oh, thank God. <laughs> the commercial break is over. Now back to our regularly scheduled program, which is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And it's such a great day. Um, just this uh, renewed feeling of uh, excitement and confidence and uh, ready to move on uh, from the divisions and get back to you know, sort of um, what Obama talked about in terms of hope and uh, yes, we can and, uh, you know, moving forward. So today we're going to talk about the impact of the WNBA on the state of Georgia, uh, not only in terms of the two Senate uh, runoff votes that occurred recently, um, but we'll also talk about the insurrection and the reaction of some of the uh, professional athletes when it comes to that but as well as the impact of the WNBA players uh, had on the Atlanta Dream and its minority owner, Kelly Loeffler, who seems to be going downhill very fast, which I couldn't be more excited about in terms of losing her Senate seat and losing her minority ownership with the Atlanta Dream. We'll also talk about the ridiculous situation about the flawed Rooney rule in the NFL and how after another round of uh, NFL head coaching vacancies, they again have been filled by white men, and as of uh, today's um, broadcast, uh, with only one opening remaining with the Houston Texans, uh, there have been no African Americans hired. I'll also talk about my criticism for Tom Brady and his missed opportunity to speak up against the Black Lives Matter movement and systemic and institutional racism, and more specifically, white privilege. We will also talk about Kyrie Irving and how uh, I think Stephen A. Smith overstepped his bounds when it came to his opinions until he knew all the facts and... Uh, you know, what an amazing job Kyrie has done in so many other ways and how I think he's going to be fine. And also mad props to Maya Moore for what she's been doing over the past couple of years. So buckle your seatbelts and let's get ready to do this together right here in the Sports Deli. So one of the things that we've discussed here in the Sports Deli was about, as I mentioned before, sometimes African-Americans are only going to listen to African-Americans, even if it's the same message and whites will listen to whites. And I've been extremely critical of Tom Brady, and I'm going to be extremely critical of him again, and the media, and the lack of um, uh, efforts on the part of the NFL to um, do more when it comes to uh, educating people. They have these uh, public service announcements that they talk about, you know, uh, systemic racism and social injustice, but... Uh, Look, the owners haven't done a damn thing. They haven't spoken out on the matter. Uh, you know, you got Mark Cuban, you got the owner of the Sacramento Kings, you got the WNBA, you got the NBA. Uh, baseball's been tone deaf. Um, I would say the NHL has probably been more forward thinking and more progressive than, than Major League Baseball. Uh, and they have the least amount of African Americans playing in their professional sports league. But just as was the case with the WNBA players being so instrumental in, in, in an election, along with Stacey Abrams, along with Latasha Brown, along with Cliff Albright, along with thousands of others who went and knocked door to door, uh, the NFL, in the face of the NFL still, Tom Brady, has 
missed out on such an amazing opportunity to not only be deemed the GOAT, the greatest of all time when it comes to quarterbacks, or maybe even the greatest of all time as it relates to just players, no matter what your position is. And so just as we said that there's a lot of African-Americans that listen to these people like Stacy and Latasha and Cliff uh, when they are coming and knocking on their door because they look like them, they talk like them, uh, and if I was knocking on their door, they wouldn't listen to me. They'd probably slam the door in my face trying to get them to understand the importance of a vote, you know, like, white boy, what do you know about, you know, the life I've lived and what my people have been through? So Tom Brady could have been that person for white people, so many white people. Even if he had come out and said, I support Trump, I believe in his economic uh, beliefs, I, I'm, I'm pro-life, whatever it is that your belief system is. But what he's missed out on, and I'm sure people down the road will probably criticize him for in the locker room, is that he has not been more outspoken with regards to Black Lives Matter. And I put his hat and his jersey in a bag and I have refused to wear it as much as I love that he was a Michigan guy, that he's won six Super Bowls, that I love watching him play. It's been so sad to me because it's so simple. It's, it's such an easy thing from my perspective to stand up and fight for social injustice and say it. Say those words, Black Lives Matter. And why Tom has refused to do it and why the media has given him a pass. Like the media will rip African Americans left and right for any mistakes that they've made. Kyrie Irving, Antonio Brown, and maybe they should. But where is, the, where is mainstream media when it comes to ripping Tom Brady in the same manner that African Americans are often not given a pass for regarding this issue? And do you know how far that will go in a locker room? Doug Williams said it best on this podcast. African Americans, no matter what, will remember you forever in such a different light if you stand up and speak upon an African American cause, especially, arguably, one of the most important causes in the history of our country, institutional racism and white privilege. And I hope that somebody who's listening to this podcast, whether it's a Jamel Hill, uh, whether it's Doug Williams, whether it's Hugh Jackson, um, you know, Mark Cuban was on Clubhouse and said that as much pull as he has in the world and in sports, he doesn't think that he could have much influence on NFL owners. And I don't know what it would take to get Tom Brady before the NFC Championship game, to lock arms. Can you imagine if Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Tom Brady locked arms? Three white, privileged quarterbacks in the NFL. Three white guys. And Aaron Rodgers is, has been outspoken. And, and Drew Brees has, has apologized for some of his comments that... Um, you know, he made during the summer months of 2020 about the flag and patriotism and, and Black Lives Matter. If, can you imagine if the three of them locked arms and did anything, something that spoke on Black Lives Matter and educated white America? Because white people listen to Trump. White people listen to white pro-athletes. And what a powerful thing that would be. And what a, what a missed opportunity. Just what, what a missed opportunity. Such a, such a freaking bummer. All it would take is a 30-second commercial. Hell, I would raise the money for them to do it. For them to talk about how black lives matter and how we have to all come together so that systemic racism and institutional racism are no more and that there's one sets of laws for everybody in this country. Can you imagine how powerful that would be? 
And Tom, if you're listening to this, which I'm sure you never will, you missed it, man. So far up until this point, you've absolutely missed it. All you've cared about is your videos about the upcoming games and and videos about the trash talking between you and other players from other teams and God. So those of you that are out there, especially white folks that are wealthy and have influence in your companies, uh, in your homes, um, commissioners, um, everybody who you know has the ability to influence white minds, please do more especially the Tom Brady's of the world, the Bill Gates of the world, the people in Congress, politicians locally and at the state level. Please use your platform to do more because it matters. And I will challenge all of you white listeners out there to understand, uh, along with myself, that white privilege exists that there is a difference when an African-American walks out of their house and gets in their car or walks into a store or gets on the bus or gets onto a trolley than if a white person does any of those things. There's, there's two sets of laws still in this country. Uh, African-Americans are still exhausted. Uh, they still feel the accumulation of the color of their skin on a daily basis. Um, there's still two narratives. And if we don't keep this conversation going and educate and um, help people unlearn and relearn uh, and believe that systemic racism and institutional racism and white privilege uh, are all real, uh, and it's uh, in many instances worse for African-American women, not only economically, uh, but emotionally and, and, and in so many ways, that um, it's going to take even longer because eventually we're, we're going to get on the right side of history. You're going to have these racists who are going to be in denial about, you know, the truth about what America is and, you know, the direction that it's going. But, you know, eventually, you know, it's going to happen where, you know, there's more equality across the board and people don't say that there's two sets of narratives and two sets of laws that are uh, in this country based on whether or not you're white or black. But that's largely going to depend, you know, how open people are to listening to people that are actually going through this stuff and have been for hundreds of years and what it's like to be them and to stop acting so arrogant that we as white people think that we know better than African-Americans who have been living this for, for their entire lives. They shouldn't have to have the talk with their kids anymore. Like so many people are still living in the 1960s. It's ridiculous. So uh, hopefully you um, understand that, uh, you know, things can change and you don't have to lose out on anything. Like Corey Forrester, a comedian, uh, just talked about in his rant after the insurrection. He said at one point, like, people... Uh, like from the Proud Boys and, and there were cops at the insurrection and things like that. Like, we got to take our country back. And he said, like, take it back from what? <laughs> like, what are you taking it back from? Like, white people have been running this country for since the beginning of time. Like, the laws were built for white people. <laughs> and he's right. Like, right? Like, take your country back from who? No, one, no one's ever taken this country back. If anything, it's more white than ever. So uh, if you haven't um, listened to Corey Forrester from Georgia, he's got a little twang. Um, I might play a little portion of it for you later, but uh, he, he, is, he, he was hilarious in this rant. And, 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 and you know, uh, Jamel Hill uh, retweeted it uh, or reposted it on her Instagram um, and a lot of others have as well. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, great, it's a great rant. So check that out if you haven't already. And how this is so different than the peaceful protests by African Americans regarding and whites regarding the Black Lives Matter movement and how the National Guard was called out and rubber bullets and other methods were used against people 
exercising their First Amendment rights to peacefully protest social injustice and institutional racism in America. Jimmy Butler from the Miami Heat. We see the two different um, USAs that we live in. Uh, it's, it's sad, it, it truly is, it's sad. Um, Jalen Brown from the Boston Celtics. It reminds me of what Dr. Martin Luther King has said, that there is two split different Americas. In one America you get to, you get killed by sleeping in your car, selling cigarettes or playing in your backyard. And in another America, you get to storm the Capitol and no tear gas, no massive arrest. So I think it's obvious, it's 2021, I don't think anything has changed. Steve Kerr, who played with Michael Jordan and now is the head coach for the Golden State Warriors. And if we enable people in power to lie, um, you all of a sudden have millions of people who are doubting an election that was certified in every state. We had eight million, seven to eight million more people vote for Biden than for Trump. Um, every every state has certified those results. Every court appeal has been turned down. Um, a legitimate election is suddenly questioned by millions of people, including many of the people who are leading our country in government. Uh, because we've decided to, over the last few years, allow lies to, to be told. Doc Rivers, former head coach of the Boston Celtics, Los Angeles Clippers, and now the Philadelphia 76ers. This is a group uh, of people uh, who have decided uh, to be unruly. And if we just left it at that, um, you know, I think we're all be in a better place, right? Uh, but the symbolism of storming the Capitol without force uh, done to them, uh, you know, if you're a black American, you it definitely touches you uh, in, a, in, a, in a different way. This is not a black thing. This is an American thing again today, and we shouldn't turn it into that. Uh, but it definitely makes you think for sure. Draymond Green from the world champion Golden State Warriors. It's baffling to see the the reaction that the law enforcement had and, you know, whoever else was involved from a, a you know, authoritarian standpoint. Uh, to see the National Guard standing on those same steps when, when there was a peaceful protest. And now to see um, a terrorist attack and no National Guard, it just goes to show you where this country is, where this country is always has been, and probably where it's going to stay. Kawhi Leonard from the Los Angeles Clippers. You see the privilege. You see the privilege in America. Um, and it's sad to see. Because if any of us were out there, I think it would have been tear gas, mace, uh, probably gunshots, you know. And LeBron James. The events that took place yesterday was a direct correlation of the president that's in the seat right now of his actions and his beliefs and his wishes. Um, he cares about nobody besides himself. Nobody. Absolutely nobody. He doesn't care about this country. He doesn't care about his family. He doesn't care about anybody besides himself. And, and, and we, I mean, we've seen the tweets that happened along this whole path to the destruction of what happened yesterday. Those those events was because of him. Angela Rye. So watching this, knowing that from every single side of the Capitol, these um, domestic terrorists were allowed in that building because they believed it was theirs without regard for human life. The staff who are my, like my brothers and sisters, that was horrible to watch. And you see the difference between when someone believes the police works for you, and when someone else believes from all of their past experience that the police work against them, perhaps even shooting to kill them when they protect and serve everyone else. And so to that end, you know, you have a, a quote from James Baldwin where he says, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious, conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. And we've been in that rage, not just for four years, 
But for 402 years, we all need to be saying the same thing from every perch. And it doesn't just need to be black athletes. There need to be allies who are in this. Max, to your point, knowing if you know full well that the outcome would have been different had the protesters looked different, that signifies to you that it's time to make a different type of change. You can't just look at this anymore and say, that's a shame. You have to say, I've got something I got to do on this. And here's how I'm going to respond. I'm not just going to speak or tweet or post a picture or hold my fist up or wear this particular shirt. I'm going to go out and figure out what I can do to actually solve this for my perch. This is Hootie Hoot, co-host of the Sports Deli podcast, and we hope that you're enjoying this special edition of the Sports Deli podcast on Inauguration Day 2020. And we want to remind you that the Sports Deli is sponsored by SportRx, the leader in sports prescription eyewear. You can find them online at sportrx.com. You can chat with a live optician online. You can give them a buzz and talk to a live optician by calling them at 888-831-5817. And you can use your uh, flexible spending accounts, your vision insurance, your health savings accounts. And if you check out online, don't forget to put in the code DELI10, that's D-E-L-I-1-0, DELI10, for your 10% discount. Now, back to the Sports Deli Podcast. For Dr. J, I am Hootie Hoot, and we will now discuss the situation with regards to the WNBA as it relates to the state of Georgia and the Atlanta Dream. Uh, I sent Jamel Hill, uh, who's a podcaster, very famous woman, African-American woman, uh, writer for The Atlantic, a message, because, and she wasn't alone, I sent it to a, bu- a bunch of people. And, and she answered me, surprisingly, uh, I don't, I don't know why she answered me, but, but she did. And we've had some, you know, subsequent brief conversations. And, and initially, I was talking to her about football and the ridiculousness of the football situation, and and uh, uh, the lack of uh, head African American coaches in the NFL. But uh, it led me to the Atlantic to um, read uh, some of her stuff, including uh, what's going on with the WNBA. Uh, and some of the pressures that the WNBA players have put on people, including the ownership group of the Atlanta Dream. And I was so grateful f- to her for responding. And, uh, you know, first of all, you don't know who's going to come into your life unless you have the courage to, you know, um, reach out to people or, you know, stay true to your compass and, and listen to your inner voice and, and sort of stay in your lane. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what, what my lane is with all of this, along with uh, Dr. J. But like I said, she responded. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of things that have been going on with regards to politics and the crossover between politics and sports um, is a reminder that, you know, when we try and do things alone, it's much more difficult, but if we put our collective heads together, similar to in a locker room, right? Like, or on the court or on a football field. If you try and go one-on-one the entire game, you're you're not going to have as much success than if you, you know, work together or if you have disagreements in the locker room and you have thoughtful dialogue about it, right? The locker rooms, as we've talked about a lot on this show, uh, if we could all sort of go into a locker room and see how um, things are navigated and how players from all kinds of different backgrounds uh, can talk about you know things, even if they're controversial, and, and find some common ground uh, and work together, which inevitably most locker rooms do that and have always sort of been ahead of the curve uh, when it comes to this type, type of thing, you know, we, we, we'd probably be a lot further along in this country. And I think that's why there's so much hope, um, not just in sports, that we're going to be able to turn this thing around once and for all and change the narrative in this country. Uh, so I'm so grateful to to Jamel for responding to uh, leading me to read some things that she has recently written about um, some of the very same things that we've talked about on this podcast. You know, Jen- Jennifer King's coming on soon, uh, a powerful woman in the world of the NFL a running backs uh, coach with the Washington football team. You know, and like I said, I've reached out to a lot of others. Jared Jeffries, uh, a former uh, NBA player, 
um, Roger Mason, uh, and all of them have responded. Bruce Maxwell with the New York Mets. You know, so I've, I've reached out to a lot of different people. Uh, Hugh Jackson and I talk regularly now. Um, you know, we've established a, a good level of trust uh, between one another. Uh, Irv Rowland, you know, uh, respects what we're doing here. He hopefully will come on at some point. Uh, uh, an NBA and WNBA trainer. Um, so there's, there's been a lot of people that uh, have looked at some of the messages that I've sent, uh, checked us out, um, and uh, we're very grateful about that. Um, you know, we feel like we're uh, trying to listen and learn um, and, you know, share information to hopefully educate people. And there's a, a different mindset. There's so many things that are just ridiculous that have to do with systemic racism that we want to, you know, do everything that we can uh, to, uh, you know, change how people think in this country. And, you know, we can take it a step further, as I've talked about before, with reparations. Some people believe in that. Some people don't. But if you look at the history of our country with regards to uh, African-Americans and how they got their start and Jews, uh, it's unquestionably necessary, I think, to bridge the gap economically in this country to uh, offer reparations to low-income uh, African-Americans. Uh, Lonnie Murray, uh, who's a, a sports agent. Um, uh, for Bianca Smith, uh, one of the first female uh, assistant coaches in Major League Baseball. She deals with Major League Baseball players uh, and coaches. Um, she's also Bruce Maxwell's agent, who's hopefully going to be coming on the podcast soon. You know, she's a very powerful woman. She's married to Dave Stewart, former Major League Baseball player. Um, she, you know, she and I have had a number of, of discussions. Uh, you know, I've spoken with Jay Billis, uh, you know, on the podcast, uh, a lot of powerful WNBA players, uh, have spoken on this issue, you know, so it, it's, it's been enlightening and, and humbling. Um, but we, we, we can't stop now. We have to keep this conversation going. So let's transition to the WNBA and so the WNBA you know, uh, they bring in about $60 million a year, whereas the NBA brings in several billion. And so incomparable in terms of uh, uh, financial worth and things of that nature. But uh, one of the things I, I did want to talk about was how with all the things going on, the insurrection, the continued uh, systemic racism with police officers and all of the other issues that we have going on. Uh, you know, Obama said, you know, yes, we can. And that, that he believed that there was hope out there. And, you know, the commercial break is over. You know, today's Inauguration Day, 2020. Um, it's Biden and Harris time. Uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, you know, have... Uh, as of today, taken over as president and vice president of the United States, a historic day, especially for women and uh, black and brown women everywhere, not just in the United States. But, you know, I want to talk a little bit about what happened in Georgia. And if this doesn't really tell you that uh, there are strength in numbers, that your vote does matter, uh, you know, it, I guess it sort of started with Stacey Abrams, right? She's a, a politician. She was... Um, uh, she served in the, uh, in the Georgia House of Representatives, and, and she's been a, uh, um, a voting rights activist for, for a long time. But she just sort of came into the spotlight nationally uh, more recently because of her efforts with grassroots efforts and, uh, you know, things like uh, Black Votes Matter uh, that was started by Latasha Brown and Cliff Albright in Georgia, uh, which mobilized local groups to, you know, get people to uh, not only sign up, but to get to the, to the voting booths. And so when the WNBA was in the bubble, for those of you that don't know, uh, and the WNBA supports Planned Parenthood, they support um, LGBTQ plus communities, they support Black Lives Matter. Now they don't have the, the type of uh, clout that the NBA does, but let me just give you some perspective from what I've learned. At the time the WNBA 
after Kelly Loeffler, um, who is a senator, was a senator in Georgia, made comments about how uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is anti-Semitic and promotes violence and destruction across this country. And she continued over the course of several months to rip Black Lives Matter and saying she won't sell the stake in, in her WNBA minority ownership of the team and all this other stuff. You know, and it reminds me of like people saying that the insurrection was started by Antifa. Like, shut up, man. Like, come on. So ridiculous. Like, you, you people will believe like literally anything just to um, support your own narrative. Like, open your eyes. Like, it's just ridiculous. Uh, and I'm not going to digress too much with regards to the insurrection right now, but the, the, it, it's just such a, a continued marginalization, um, uh, being uneducated, uh, and, and so ignorant to the facts, um, and so tone deaf. Like, it's just remarkable. And... This is what happens when you make dumbass comments and you think that your, your privilege is going to get you uh, a Senate seat. Well, Kelly, I got freaking news for you. You're out as senator and you're going to be out as the minority owner of the Atlanta Dream. So I hope you uh, come correct one day. I really do because um, I don't I don't. Uh, want the division that has uh, caused this country to have so much hate and hostility uh, for one another. You know, I, I want to find some common ground, like I want to find some common ground like I, I have with my neighbor. Um, you know, she loves Trump. Uh, she wanted him to be president again. But I listen to her opinion. She listens to mine. I disagree with her. She she disagrees with me about reparations, and you know, she'll tell me, "Hey, wait a minute, like that's that's going too far." But at least she's listened. I've sent her videos to uh, listen to um, uh, YouTube videos on racism, and you know, it's 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 not easy. You know, when you've been doing things a certain way or you've been thinking things your whole life uh, about, you know, certain things. And uh, I applaud, you know, people who are at least willing to to respect the other side and uh, at least admit that racism exists. So we're trying to give perspective, maybe educate, um, help with solutions when it comes to you know, specific things that deal with education or prison reform, police reform, small business reform, um, at least getting people to sit down at the table and have a conversation or listen and not be in denial or be less ignorant, be more educated um, about some of these issues because of white privilege um, and because of how difficult it is for African Americans to live their lives when there's two different sets of laws in this country. So the WNBA uh, got together in the bubble, and they did so because <laughs> there was nowhere else to go, right? Sue Bird has talked about this. I was on a, a, a call on Clubhouse. It's a new app. Uh, and Mark Cuban was on. Uh, uh, Tara Lowens was on. There, there were a lot of people on, uh, several thousand people. And... Um, among other things that they talked about, including, which I'll talk about in a minute, the NFL owners and their lack of um, standing up to be on the right side of history, uh, they talked about how, and Jamel talked about this also uh, in her article about Kelly Loeffler and the WNBA, that at the time the WNBA uh, put on the shirts in support of uh, the Reverend Warnock, who ended up winning the election. Um, he was polling at 9%. Not 19, not 29, not 39. Nine. Now, most of you know that Georgia uh, has been a red state for a long time. 
before this uh, past election. And so the, the, the women in the WNBA decided that they were not going to say Kelly Loeffler's name, that they were simply going to support uh, Reverend Warnock, and that in and of itself was going to be a sign that they weren't going to give traction to people like uh, Loeffler, who that's what they want you to do. They want you to think about them. They want you to talk about them. That's how they get traction. And they decided they weren't going to do that. And so uh, that started trending. And so you can see what ended up happening because of these women of the WNBA, because of Stacey Abrams, because of because of Latasha Brown and Cliff Albright and all these grassroots efforts in Georgia to get people to understand that that their votes mattered. Um, and I just think it's a really powerful message to send. Uh, 9%. Warnock was at 9%. And he ended up, uh, you know, having a runoff because, you know, it was less than, uh, I think it's 1%. You, you, can, you have a runoff uh, in Georgia. And, and then <laughs> you know the rest of the story. Uh, the runoff went in, in favor of, of uh, Reverend Warnock. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, as a result of that, um, you know, now the Democrats have control of, of the Senate because Kamala is the tie-breaking vote uh, um, when it comes to specific policies if, you know, they're being uh, voted on. And, uh, you know, John Ossoff, it shouldn't go unnoticed also for the uh, other senator that was um, uh, uh, voted on uh, during that runoff uh, in a separate election, and he won also as a, as a Jewish uh, uh, male in Georgia. So it, it's just, it's just mind-blowing and just a remarkable thing to see the, the collective efforts of so many people come together for this. You're listening to Hootie Hoot. This is a special edition of the Sports Deli Podcast on Inauguration Day 2020. And now we will transition into talking about the NFL and the ridiculous situation as it relates to the lack of African-American head coaches during the hiring cycle of 2020 right here in the Sports Deli. So as I mentioned earlier, I sent messages to a lot of NFL people, uh, a lot of media people, uh, including Jamel Hill and Doug Williams and and Hugh Jackson and and other many others, and just to sort of get their their opinion on it. And there was a you know a collective consensus on how ridiculous the situation is, um, and so I was just so frustrated after the rumor that Josh McDaniel which, you know, he's deserving. Uh, he's passed up head coaching positions in the past. He's a great coordinator. He's been a part of Super Bowls. But it, it's, it's just remarkable that more uh, opportunities still, even after everything this year, are not available to African-American um, uh, men or women uh, for head coaching positions. And so I said to... Um, Jamel Hill uh, about how I've been very outspoken about a, a number of things. This is what I said. I've been very outspoken and criticized Tom Brady, especially the media. They'll show him hugging Drew Brees, but not criticizing him for not standing up for the Black Lives Matter movement, along with other cowardly NFL owners. It's such effing bull crap. So she said, I'm actually writing a column about that very issue right now. And she later went on to tell me that she, you know, was sending it to her editor and it was going to be out soon. But let's talk just for a, a brief moment about the uh, Rooney rule, which in my opinion is just an appeasement to, uh, you know, make it look good. And they implemented this program uh, as an, an, an extension of the Rooney rule which is basically you have to interview African-Americans for positions, uh, for head coaching positions before you hire anyone. And so they expanded it. They, you can go online and you can, you can read about it, but, um, you know, there's draft picks that are involved. You know, there's mentoring programs. You know, I know Troy Vincent, 
is trying to do things in the league office. He's the executive VP of football operations. Uh, I think in theory that this was a good idea, but it's it's flawed. Uh, maybe it's going to take some time, but um, you know, it's just mind blowing that uh, there's so many African Americans that are qualified to be head coaches uh, when the same old white guys are recycled or guys who uh, haven't even been coordinators, which has always been the argument, right? That, oh, you got to go up through the ranks and you got to be this coach and then you got to be this coach and then, and then you got to be an offensive coordinator. <laughs> you got a guy like Eric Bieniemy with, uh, um, with Kansas City who's on his way to possibly winning his second Super Bowl and could have been on his way to winning a third uh, is now being marginalized because they say, well, that Andy Reid makes all the big decisions. Like... Come on, man. Look at look at Byron Lefwich. You know he started off slow. It's not an easy thing to bring in a, a Hall of Famer. And as much as I've been critical of Tom Brady, you know Byron Lefwich has improved as the year has gone on. Like if if that's not a sign, don't you want to see improvement from your from your players, from your coaches? Don't you want to see them evolve, be flexible, have good in game adjustments? Uh, you know, have good game plans from week to week. So you know we'll see what happens down the road. But like Byron Lefwich isn't isn't uh, qualified to be considered to to be a head coach like and he was a quarterback himself like he wasn't a hall of fame quarterback but he was he was good he was serviceable you know um you know he's 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 working with uh coach arians um you know he's had some good mentoring um quarterbacks coach for the chargers pep hamilton like what he did with justin herbert like man that guy he had a, a great rookie season. Vance Joseph, defensive coordinator for the Cardinals. Um, so there, there's just a lot of guys. Um, you know, I'm glad for Robert Saleh uh, getting the job uh, with the Jets. Like, I'm from Detroit. You know, I know uh, a lot of people that I went to school with that are Chaldean and Arabic, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. You know Ron Rivera in in Washington. You know there's 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 other minorities, but uh, when the league is seventy percent black, and you know there's there's a lack of s not only initial opportunities but second opportunities for African American coaches like Hugh Jackson. Like, give me a break. Like that guy doesn't deserve an offensive coordinator or a head coaching opportunity again. He took a a shit roster in Oakland, uh, and and. Uh, um, did some great things in Cleveland, uh, and is basically responsible for the direction that, you know, Cleveland went in and why they're having so much success that, you know, uh, must not go unnoticed. And there's just other, other coaches and people say, wow, there's not a lot of African-American man. Yes, there is. Raheem Morris, who was the interim coach with the Falcons. Um, Deuce Staley, who worked with running backs with the Eagles, uh, Eric Studsville, running backs coach with the Dolphins, Eric Washington. I mean, there, there's, there's a ton of guys. Like, it's ridiculous that these guys aren't getting, and, uh, you know, I don't know who's going to get the Houston Texans job, but, like, it's just, it's just crazy. It's just ridiculous. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, Kyrie Irving. And there's a lot of people that have done some great things when it comes to activism. Um, Maya Moore is one that comes to mind. Um, and, you know, for those of you that don't know, when she was really young, uh, she started uh, campaigning uh, for Jonathan Irons' um, wrongful conviction who was sentenced to 50 years in prison for something he didn't do. And we've gone on this uh, podcast to talk about Julius Jones. If you don't know Julius Jones' story, look him up. There's a lot of people in prison for things they did not do. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Irons um, ended up marrying Maya Moore, and that came later, for their love for one another, which, you know, is wonderful. But, you know, she took two years off from the WNBA to – fight for systemic racism and uh, she just you know realized she couldn't do both put time into being uh, arguably the the goat uh, of the WNBA into um, playing uh, a season 
the year before the bubble and then the year of the bubble. And um, uh, the other person is Kyrie. And, you know, I, I um, heard Stephen A. Smith talk about how he should retire. And I'm like, like, I understand a little bit where he's coming from, but it's like, come on, man. Like, you haven't had a conversation with him. You haven't spoken to him about where he's at, you know, just because he's had some other things go on and he's, you know, shown some instability. Like, let's take a look at what Kyrie's done over the last year. He donated $323,000 to Feeding America. He partnered with City Harvest to ensure 250,000 meals were distributed to New Yorkers. He partnered with Nike to donate 17 pallets of food and masks to the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. He committed a million and a half dollars to help pay for WNBA players' salaries who opted out of the 2020 season. He paid off the college tuition of nine HBCU students from Lincoln University. He purchased a house most recently for the family of George Floyd, uh, according to former NBA player Steven Jackson. So, like, and then I heard his comments, um, you know, the other day um, about oppressed communities and how there's so many things going on that he just, um, you know, needed uh, a, a break, you know, talking about mental health and the, the political and social climates in America and you know, I've talked about this uh, a couple of times on the show about the accumulation effect. And uh, I've never been a professional athlete, but I did play four years of college basketball. And I can tell you, like, after a tough practice, I'm like done. You know, right? I was done. Those of you that have played sports, you understand. Uh, and so when you win a ring and then you go somewhere where the pressure is on you to to lead the team in, in the biggest market, arguably, along with L.A., uh, arguably in the world, and especially in the basketball world, uh, it's, it's exhausting. And so I can imagine, can't imagine really, um, how he must feel, and he just, he just needed a break. And I, I don't think we can begrudge him for uh, that, and we certainly shouldn't necessarily say that he should retire uh, without hearing his thoughts. I just thought that was way over the top and, and just ridiculously overboard. Um, instead of, you know, supporting him, uh, God forbid, you know, something terrible should happen. Um, you know, um, I'm glad he's okay. And, uh, I, you know, I think he's, he's going to, um, after this break, uh, be rejuvenated. And, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see what happens. But uh, him and James Harden and, and KD uh, arguably um, are one of the best uh, trios that have ever played together in the NBA, you could argue. And it's going to be interesting down the stretch. And it's a long season. Nobody cares about the regular season, right? Remember, you know, the Lakers were up and down last year and they, they couldn't get it together. And, and they made all these switches this year. And, you know, they... They just got tripped up by by Golden State. Like it, it, it takes time. It's a long season, um, and so people only care about the playoffs, anyways. And the players, you know, know that that's all that counts. So, um, you know, good luck to Kyrie and and the Nets and to Steve Nash, who, you know, I think could be a lot like Steve Kerr. You know, Steve Kerr took over from Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson should be an NBA head coach somewhere. Um, but Steve Kerr took over and, and, uh, built off of what, uh, what Mark Jackson had started and done and, uh, created and, and, uh, adjusted the culture a little bit. And I think Steve Nash, uh, who had the approval of those guys and, uh, James Harden's more matured now. And so I think, I think it, I think it'll work out. And I think, uh, the Nets, um, you know, and the Lakers will meet in the finals and, and I think it'll be a great finals if um, the Lakers and the Nets uh, meet in, in the NBA finals. Um, but as far as Kyrie goes, you know, we need to give this guy a break. I think, I think it's just ridiculous, um, you know, to, 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 to beat this guy up so badly. And, and uh, you know, yeah, he's got a job to do. And, yes, he should have communicated better. Um, 
But, you know, at the same time, I know if I didn't have one of my players come to my practices after coaching college basketball or, you know, uh, currently coaching, a, you know, at a low-income first-generation high school, I would immediately reach out and say, hey, is everything okay? Like, people have stuff, you know, that, that you know, people have things that happen to them. You know, they, they, they don't always have the ability to communicate emotionally or, you know, for a multitude of other reasons. So... Uh, I would tell Stephen A to to maybe back off his comments and until he knows a little bit more about the situation to make such a uh, serious statement about suggesting that he should retire. I just thought that that was that was too much. Thanks again for joining us today in the Sports Deli for this special edition on Inauguration Day 2020. And until next time, please mask up. Remember, Black Lives Matter. Peace.